Welcome again as we start to engage and as we have been engaging with what does movements look like in the West. Last week we were listening to Brian Medway and now we jump to another practitioner who's uh, doing stuff in the harvest and also training workers in the gong, Wollongong, the city of ACDC, the working class city. And uh, it's a great pleasure to have David Milne with us as he uh, he's going to be sharing with us uh, in the movement sphere some of the challenges, some of the things that he's learnt and how that will encourage us as we engage with making disciples in the Western sphere. Uh, I've known David for numbers of years and just love his heart for the body, love his heart for people, love his open heart to just keep going. And uh, I've seen him just really do... Um, just some great things in just encouraging others and praying and encouraging different spaces for movement practitioners. So welcome, Dave, to the podcast. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be with you. Dave, uh, introduce yourself so we can learn a little bit about you and what you're doing out there in that amazing city, the Gong. Well, it is an amazing city in many ways. It's uh home of ACDC, for which you've reminded me, but yeah, I guess we think of ourselves as a steel city and a city of beaches <laughs> and city of education now. So, yeah, I, I live here, have done for quite a, quite a few years. Uh, I'm, I'm married to, to Sue, and we have uh, three kids, and, or three children, and three grandchildren, which is wow. pretty exciting. Um, great, great blessing from God. And um, yeah, I'm really interested in movement, and I have been for quite a long time, um, I guess, because... Uh, I live in a I live in a country where seven percent or so of people have an, an effective relationship with the church mm. weekly, and there's about another seven or eight percent who go mm. monthly. Um, so I think there's a lot of ground to be made up um, in our in our community, and um, there's a lot of people who aren't really experiencing the goodness of God the way He would have it. Mm. I think, or living living in a way that reflects His glory. So, you know, that, that's a concern to me. Those numbers, I guess, they're probably somewhat proportionate to the number of, of people with an effective relationship with God, and, and they haven't been heading in the right direction for quite a few years, really. Exactly. That's the, that's the real challenge, not simply where we're up to, but the direction of where we've been up to, and uh, people um, f- uh, really talking about church being something they're walking away from, not walking towards um, Dave, um, some of the challenges then of uh, doing movement in the Western sphere, um, you know, you've really jumped into that space and devoted yourself to being a movement practitioner training. A, a simple question, why aren't you running a church? I mean, I, a guy like you could be pastoring a church and doing uh, doing this in that um, kind of basis. Why, what, what, why are you doing what you're doing? Well, p- perhaps it's partly to do with gifting, and it's certainly not wrong to be leading a church. In fact, that's a great thing to be doing because it gives you an excellent base from which to form and multiply disciples who are competent to make other disciples. So that's that's a really good thing to, to actually have. Um, I guess just the way I've entered into this space and how my life has been lived so far means that I'm a little bit more free able to train people from a wide variety of churches, so that's what, that's mm. what I do. And um, I coach people across, you know, I guess the denominational spectrum, and then I'm out sharing gospel and hoping to take people with me while I do that as well. So they're things that I do, but it's perfectly reasonable to be part of a church uh, and making and multiplying disciples. So 
I suspect that's what the church is really all about. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, take us a little bit back in your history and what, what clicked you onto movement? Why, why are you thinking movement? Um, way back when I became earnest in my relationship with God in my early 20s, I noticed my generation pretty much missing from the church. So in, in the Anglican church I was in at the time, there were people who were younger than my wife and I in our early 20s, as I said, in the youth group and so on which we led for a bit, and then there was people um, 45 and older. So there's this missing generation, and I, I became pretty keen to share gospel during my uni years, um, but not many people were becoming followers of Jesus. And I was also in a church that um, we, we, we did evangelism explosion, and across mm. a 10 or 15 year period, we probably shared the gospel with six or 7,000 people, but the church, the numbers of, number of people in the church, which was 450 at the time, pretty much flatlined throughout that period, which is good because there's transition out of a church. The average Aussie moves every three to five years, so people mm. are moving away. But we were replacing those people. But those people weren't going on and making disciples. So the initial thing that got me into disciple making was my generation's missing. You know, that doesn't glorify God. You know, If Jesus mm. is the one who is resplendent in that image that uh, John reports in the book of Revelation, then he ought to be glorified by my generation who, mm-hmm. who honour him as such in every institution across our society. So anyway, I kind of, I'm sharing the, the gospel uh, with people. We had a young guy who got saved and um, thought, oh, I have to disciple this guy. And I learnt that there's no real command to evangelise during that period but there is a command to make and multiply disciples, and that sent me on a journey. Well, what is a disciple? And I learnt during that process, well, a disciple is someone who's able to reproduce because built into the Great Commission is the idea that we're able to re- replicate ourselves. And that got me interested actually in cell churches uh, mm. because a cell church is designed so that each individual small group cell can morph and change and fit within any cultural group within the society. Um, so I, I originally shifted out, I guess, out of a traditional church paradigm of gathering on a Sunday into a cell church model uh, fairly early on. But we, we were we, in that cell church time, I think we had a lot of the pieces, but they weren't mm. well arranged and we were probably missing a few cogs. I know mm. one cog we were missing at that time was so widely or share widely. We were doing the frangelism thing, um, hanging out with maybe 10 families and investing deeply in 10 families and after a couple of years none of them really get saved <laughs> but, or there's not a lot of transition within that group but you've invested all your time into that group of that group of people so we needed to learn to sow widely having said that i should say that across that period uh we had about 11 friends get get saved uh 11 family you know friends in our in our immediate friendship circle but we didn't know how to empower them to actually share the gospel with their friends and family. Mm. Uh, and so we've been on a journey, I guess, from that time, looking for what would be more effective in the West. And then I, I heard about movement in about 2011 or 2012 from, from our mutual friend, Steve Addison. Mm. Mm. So picking, picking that up, um, what were some of the key elements of movement that attracted you that, that really went, ah, this is this is really really helpful for our context. Um, 
Well, I guess I'm a bit of a systems thinker and I can see how the components of movement activity fitted together to ensure that there was meaningful connection, training, understanding uh, and, you know, I I say functional effectiveness, Mm. (laughs) if you like. But we know that nothing's going to happen without power and the power is the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God Mm. within movement. So what initially... um, occurred i suppose is that various bits and pieces that we'd been discovering through our cell church life had had they'd come together really well within the movement practitioner framework you know we'd been aware of the need for prayer and fasting Uh, we'd been aware of the need for small groups that are actually sustainable and able to replicate but we Mm. really didn't have models or know how to do it well and i guess when i came across the movement guys there were extraordinary stories of God moving through their work and, and, and them doing it really well. So that mm. was quite attractive. Mm. As, you, as you kind of have learnt that, and I know that you not only have been a practitioner, but you've researched and um, you've read and you've sat back and you've looked at uh, movements both in the non-West and the West, what... What's some of your observations about the Western sphere? And I'm thinking particularly Europe and Australia and the very broad observations and how movements apply in those contexts. Mm. Well, I guess the first observation is um, uh, we we would look, look at the numbers and you're kind of attracted to the best stories of God's work around the world. Mm. And so you look at what, something that might be happening, say, in China or India or uh, one of those unreached people group areas, and you see the extraordinary growth of you know genuine baptisms, people coming into relationship with Jesus. And you look at your backyard and you go, gee shucks, um, God's not blessing <laughs> us, <laughs> or our work's mm. not working, or there's something deficient uh, about us. So that's the, the first thing. You, you've got to struggle with that reality. Hmm. Then you've got to go, okay, all right, what's happening? I mean, we're a, we're a Western culture. It's a post-Christian uh, context. And we need to give that a little bit of thought. Um, because what, what we've been tending to do is to map, map into our culture what we should expect based on what we're seeing overseas, right? And hmm. it doesn't always work that way. Hmm. And... What's helpful when you start to do movement is not compare what God does in your post-Christian backyard with the best story elsewhere. It's to actually look at how that's going in relation to other people in your context. And are you learning from other people in your context? And and is is God working with you and others in your context to bring people into the kingdom of God? Because you can we can learn from both groups. So I guess going back to your question, what were some of the things I noticed about the Western context? Um, well, the first thing that we were, were told is multiply house churches, uh, independent, tending to have, have independent groups on their own, just multiplying. Don't worry too much about a big meeting. Uh, in fact, the big meeting is a problem, and it can be because it actually absorbs a lot of energy. But having looked at this for a while, I can't really see a way out of... Well, not, not really. I don't see God working independently of larger gatherings within the West. So where there's a, a cultural context where there's a lot of persecution, small groups can actually thrive quite well because any fellowship is of great value. But where you've got an existing um, 
not a greenfield, but it's a brownfield site and people have an expectation of meeting in a larger gathering. I, I think movement in the West has to involve a combination of small group and larger gathering for it to be sustainable and effective in the long term. Mm. So that's mm. just the difference I've noticed between what we originally started doing and what we think now. Yeah, yeah. Some of the some of the real challenges I see is, you know, jumping into... I was in a forum recently with um, people from Eastern Europe and um, the deep, deep hunger and the frustration that's going on in some of those places where they're trying to um, trying to reach out but being shut down by uh, Orthodox Christianity and a hardness of uh, heart or, or a perspective against um, uh, evangelical Christianity being like a cult and um, and um, the the real challenge in in some of those co- kind of contexts is how, how do they reclaim the idea that um, uh, gathering in groups outside of um, uh, some of those um, structures that they're used to um, is is what they're wrestling with, and so you know the question is why can it happen inside the structures, and can it happen within the ideas of uh, different church structures is really uh, an interesting concept, and how do we how do we engage with church structures that uh, in in that context are hostile, in other contexts. Are, either neutral or quite positive trying to engage really purposely in Australia for example there's a lot of leaders really engaging purposely with um, with uh, reaching lost people so how do we marry those concepts so yeah I, I, I wonder too and I look at places in North India where there's huge numerical growth but that generational growth is not as evident so mm. sometimes we say oh it has to be at least four generations and there's movement but you know tens of thousands of believers but only two or three generations deep but it's that what you were just saying just there's the multiplying of leaders that then go out and start these groups which is quite interesting and um um yeah well, well, those leaders have to be developed and sustained, don't they, in a fairly short space of time if you're getting a rapid conversion process. I, I really wonder about um, the first generation of churches in Jerusalem post-Pentecost. We've got 3,000 believers in the one day. Um, I'm, I'm assuming the disciples, having experienced Jesus' house church process, quickly raised the 120 or so in the, in the upper room with them to go across Jerusalem and start doing that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I wonder. Amazing, amazing, Dave. You you recently did a, a whole bunch of research and um, looked at stuff that was uh, was really taking off in the West and and uh, some some things that were just beginning, some 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 uh, movements that were just taking place. What were some of the learns that you were able to draw out of that, especially for our Aussie context? Uh, I guess um, being willing to sow widely um, and pray uh, were two really important factors you know people's mm. prayer life uh, and then willingness to share the gospel widely was really uh, important um, it was important for those that are, for those who are seeing groups form and multiplication occur they were often having to cast a lot of vision and keep mm. their groups focused on the task at hand and the vision cast not only cast a vision for a future state or a future work that those people could be involved in, 
but it also was undoing previous paradigm uh, because their their workers were often coming with a a paradigm from the old old church, so they might have had a preaching paradigm rather than an an empowerment paradigm, empowering ordinary believers to share their faith with friends and then giving them permission to start a group. So um, just coming out of the research into one of the the recent great vision casters I've heard about in a uni context, again, is a a a friend of one of my friends who's been coached, and she says to students, hey, listen, you know, you, you could start a group. She just simply encourages them. You, you have the capacity to start a group. Um, you have the capacity to share the gospel with your friend. How about you give that a crack, you know? They've had experience in a group. They've had some training about how to start a group, and she just keeps empowering them that they can do it, and they're st- seeing groups start. It's very simple, very simple encouragement. Look, I, I think one of the other things that I discovered in the research that was very important was the significance of community. So mm. being in partnerships with, with other people, uh, who had a regular means of contacting lost people. Uh, and then in that partnership, there was support, encouragement, there was opportunity to workshop problems, uh, you know, obviously some training going on, and, and, and praying into the affinity group that they were seeking to reach. I found people in partnership stayed long-term in the game and across time they had effectiveness. So I felt, and I, we often saw in the research some individuals isolated and taken out of these teams or partnerships. They reset back to a movement level of activity, which was usually more quite often not a lot. Mm. So the team was quite critical in bringing about effectiveness of movement. So yeah, and and more recent times I've seen even teams distributed across geography but connected via the internet be effective just mm. coming together regularly to support mm. each other and pray and keep each other focused on the main game. Even though it, people have said at times, oh, look, I really didn't want to come today or I haven't. I was feeling I wasn't really getting very far, they turn up into this team meeting. There's a few ideas. The Holy Spirit gives them some, some thoughts and encouragement and they're back out there. And, you know, next month something's happened. Awesome. Yeah, that's... um. That, that role of um, team and encouragement is just so vital, isn't it, for us to keep going and to be encouraged. And uh, we call it, you know, maintain, you know, being part of a tribe that that uh, share common heart, passion, and and uh, spur us each on to good works. And yeah, that's great. That's really good. Yeah, I don't think I could say how important that is. Really, it's just mm. it just seems so important, Dave. Mm. You know, apart yeah. from the Holy Spirit and the power of God. I think the team is just probably the next best thing, <laughs> next important thing, you know. Fantastic. What, what do you think some of the barriers are, some of the things that trip us up as we start to really focus on this and stop people dead in their tracks or ki- movement killers, I guess? Yeah, that that's a great question. Um, I think one of the difficulties that I'm, I'm seeing is the willingness to sustain activity in this direction. Mm. Um, some, sometimes people don't have immediate fruit uh, uh, and they need to persevere. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I guess so. I think that that's important. Or you might actually have some quick results early on but to maintain focus and maintain continuity of 
uh, following up those individuals who are starting to respond to the gospel, making time available in your life to share with them, those those things become issues within a multifaceted, interesting and rich cosmopolitan Western life. <laughs> to make disciples, you're going to actually have to carve out some time. And, you know, I, I love the, you know, what am I going to stop doing? What am I mm. going to start doing to be more effective? And then what am I going mm. to do differently to make disciples? And it's amazing when people start to think about what are my existing opportunities and connections that exist in my life already and how can I tweak them a little for the kingdom? Mm-hmm. In other words, to optimize my God-given existing connections to see how I might use them or you know, how I might be God's person in the midst of them, uh, a little more so than I am now, that can produce, I guess, effect for the kingdom of God. So I think, look, honestly, Dave, I think time is a big issue for us in the West and our our divided lives. We, we, we have lives that are quite diverse and at times as followers of Jesus can lack focus. So right now there's probably a lot of really good things that I could be doing as a member of a, a number of organisations and church groups, but there's probably some of them that are highly optimal to mm-hmm. lead to making disciples. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's a matter of thinking carefully about where you are going to focus your energies and what's the need of the moment. What, mm. what, do, the, what do the lost need right now? Mm. What will help yeah. them come into an encounter with Jesus? Mm. There's a lot of people who are already saved, and that, that's great. Jesus leaves the 99 in the open country where it's safe, and he goes off to look for the one who's lost. Right now in Australia, we've got about 15 in the open country who are safe, and there are 85, maybe, or 70, often the country needing to be found. Yeah, yeah. So um, so you, you're really talking about, you know, prioritization, focus. Um, previously, you just talked about the importance of being part of a tribe. And, and um, I guess that also links in with being linked to a coach that can really walk with us and beside us as we're trying to do this. So I know you do coaching quite a bit, Dave. Um, do you want to draw out some, some of that um, element of coaching uh, for us and what that means to be encouraged to keep going? Sure. I think coaching is really important because people come across difficulties and they think they're kind of Robinson Crusoe in the encountering of that difficulty or they don't see a way around it because um, we, we just kind of get stuck in our thinking. But actually, you know, I'm an Aussie, so I really love this concept of peer coaching, how mm. we can actually encourage each other and we you know, pull in a guy who's way ahead of us from time to time who speaks into that context. But I just I really think it's very important. And for all, all the reasons we've just been saying... Um, uh, coaching's imp- important beca- because you have community, there's support, there's prayer, there's encouragement. Um, I like to do coaching where there's an opportunity of role modelling as well, where you can do skill transfer and I can learn from others, they can learn from, from me. Um, and it's not a quick process. Some of the people that I've um, I've had um, opportunity and the privilege to be in coaching groups with have come, come from a position of really not sharing much gospel across an 18 month to a two year period to actually having like five or six people who they're regularly sharing with or or more and then getting more and more bold in those relationships and then starting seeing a group start 
you know, mm. with a couple of others. And that that's very encouraging. And when you say, hey, listen, how what happened for you to actually pop that question? Hi, friend, would you like to hang out and share a few Bible stories together? What happened? And they would say, oh, well, you guys kept asking me when I was going to do it. You guys kept encouraging me that I could do it. And so, and so I did. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So you know, we we didn't know, but you know, our group was with her in in her mind when she was in the context and asks the question. So, coaching is really important. I, I found in some of the research I did, the people who had coaches uh, were sustained in the long term and pushed through the barriers and the obstacles. Those who didn't have coaches ran into difficulties or complexities, and they they dropped out of the process. Um, there's a lot of knowledge out there in the body uh, of people who have gone ahead of us in other countries and now here in Australia, I think, who are, you know, we've got a, a lot of knowledge here in Australia. And it's really worth tapping into that. I just think it's really, really helpful. And, and you, you become part of the conversation to help us discover what it is God wants, how God wants us to succeed in reaching this nation uh, for Jesus. You're, you're part of the conversation. You're part of that dialogue. And I think it's very exciting and very valuable. Mm. So that's that's really um, profound when you're talking about belonging to a team, being part of a tribe, and then continuing on. But also then having being spurred on with specific coaching that that then is also some skills transfer that helps us break through the blockages. Yes, um, and and being able to then um, just um, go not thinking that you're alone here but this is actually something we is common the blockages are common and by being part of something the peer-based coaching sharing together um we find ourselves just suddenly able to do things a bit differently or being spurred on or being held account to account and going actually i really need to step out and do this and um and so that that idea of coaching is really uh, vital and uh, um in uh, persevering and seeing breakthrough, but also in transitioning behaviour to from old paradigms to new ways of doing things, and being able to pass your learnings back into the the community. So yeah, that's really great. I think that's yeah, those things are really important. I, I guess I have in mind um, if we're going to make a multiply disciples, we need Jesus' paradigm of multiplication, uh, not a paradigm of addition. So there's a paradigm shift as to what, right. and a knowledge shift as to what goes into making multiplying disciples. We mentioned you need a team. You can't do it without a team. You need an inner life and an abiding life with Jesus to to actually be constantly listening to him and hearing from him. I was talking to one of my friends this morning who uh, I'm beginning to work with really closely. He's a new guy in our city and just really listens to God. He really hears from God. And it's just allowing him to be very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the final thing is, as you've mentioned, Dave, skills. You, you actually need skills. You need to actually develop skills and growing competencies. And, and as you press in and keep practicing and doing things, God grows your competence. And every every mistake's really a learning opportunity. I mean, I, I say to people when we're, we're about to go and walk around in the community is, in an hour and a half, two hours, we'll know more than we knew now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to adopt a learning attitude and go with God and you know, you can always go back to someone who you started to talk to and say, hey, listen, I was walking down the road and I thought of this idea. <laughs> so, you know, if God brought something into your head or heart, go back and say it. So just a learning attitude is important. That's fantastic. That's that's great. And so give us a, in, in two minutes or two to three minutes, if I was coming to you and say, Dave, 
train me in movements. Start me at point A and let's end up at point Z and fill in all the gaps for me. What do I need to know? What do I need to do? What would what would you say to that? Wow. <laughs> well, I I would I would say um, well I guess I would first of all ask the person where their context is, what their context is, and I would want to know what God's already laid on their heart. Who who is it that actually you are concerned about and what is it that concerns you? So I want to enter into their head first of all. And from there, I'd be wanting to actually ask them how God has already used them. What, what have you, how have you seen the Holy Spirit work through your ministry, through your work in the past? What, what's God already doing through you? So I'm really curious to know what's going on there. And um, I'll be looking for, you know, are they connected? Do they have partners? Do they have friends on this journey? Are they alone? And we'll be then going, all right, well, look, you, you've got these assets in the kingdom you've had these experience you're interested in this target group of people over here where do you think you're stuck at the moment what's what's holding you back from actually you know praying for these people and sharing gospel spiritual food with these people and forming these people into communities so do you, do you understand what you're trying to do so at that point we might come across some paradigm issues so i'm going to actually try and get them into a discipling 101 course to, to ensure they have uh, simple and clear paradigms of what a movement as best we understand it looks like and I'm going to actually want them to actually ha- have the basic skills for talking about Jesus and having a spiritual conversation and then ha- starting a group so I'd, I'd like them to have, have that uh, and in parallel with, with all of that I'm really wanting them to be prayerful praying into the into this group of, of people you you know we early in our conversation we we, we talked about fasting, I think, before we began recording. And fasting and prayer is really important. So fasting and praying for that, that group of people. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I guess, so I want to go on a journey with them mm. to help them understand what a movement looks like. But mm. often, Dave, starting from what God's already done in their life and where they're up to. That's really fantastic, David. I just uh, just l- love the way um, that... You, you first identified what's on the heart, what's the burden, where's God calling them, you know, they're, they're often and uh, having a listening posture for that, but also marrying that with their giftings and what's already in them and their focus and they're seeing the marrying of those two. And, you know, calling can come out of the three kind of contexts of What's the burden? What's the gifting? Or what's God? Who they are? And then the context. What's the context? And putting all those three things together, really, then the calling seems to be coming out of that. And then just empowering them, just uh, getting underneath them and serving them, uh, some training, um, helping them, um, just uh, finding out what's stopping them and just then... uh, giving them some tools and ideas and yeah that's that's awesome david um it's it's really been a great conversation as we've um we've uh just looked into your world in the gong and and just how you operate as a as a trainer as a coach as a catalyzer for movement workers and and draw that some some of that out i'm just wondering whether you would like to finish us now with a word of encouragement and a word of um, uh, speaking directly to those who are listening in this podcast um, 
uh, how to how to move forward and what would you like to say? Well, I would really encourage them to keep pressing into God. You know, I really want to say to you guys out there, keep pressing into the Lord Jesus, keep pressing into the Holy Spirit, uh, keep reading the Scriptures reflectively, reflecting on your context. And, you know, God really loves lost people. God really loves people who are far from Jesus and he is really interested in drawing people to the, to the sun and you know we've just come through Easter I'm, I'm just really encouraged again through this extraordinary bedrock uh, to our faith of Christ's death and his resurrection these these two things there it's like absolute pillars of our faith there's probably other pillars but you know Jesus' death and his resurrection it's an absolute foundation from which we speak from which we share from which we do our ministry that our lord jesus has all authority on heaven and earth and that as as we share simple comprehensible gospel uh, and bible stories with people the holy spirit will make it plain to those who are appointed to, to eternal life and we become partners with god in extending his kingdom so press in brothers and sisters and may the holy spirit make you extraordinarily fruitful 30, 60 or 100 fold.